Uh, Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to be looking this morning at verses 16 to 20, Matthew 28, 16 to 20. And the the plan, we we spent um, a few weeks leading up to Christmas, and the plan will be to return uh, back to James next week, and then we have a a few other uh, kind of standalone sermons in January on uh, racial harmony, on how the gospel connects to to how we think about race, and then also considering uh, the value of human life. Um, But we will go back to James next week, but for this week, I figured uh, I wanted to kind of bring our minds uh, back to remembering why it is that we are here, and what, what is the mission that God has given to our church. So as I, I thought about uh, that topic, I thought I will bring a message about our, our mission and our vision as Christ Church Rollsville, which is we, we want to love God's glory together, we want to love God's people, and we want to love God's world. Um, and what better way to do that than to consider the great commission that Christ has given us, that He has given His church. And so we'll be in Matthew uh, 28, verses 16 to 20. Let me pray before we begin. Our Heavenly Father, as we have gathered together in singing and in prayer, in worshiping your great name, we pray that you would receive glory from it. We pray that you would be honored, that you would be glorified, in our midst. Lord, we ask that as we come to your word, that you would fill us with a sense of awe, that you are addressing us, your people, by it. And that through the simple explanation and proclamation of your word, you, by your spirit, are changing our hearts. That you are convicting us of sin, that you are growing us, that you are shaping us into who you want us to be. Remind us of these awesome truths that we would yearn for you to work and to change us. So take this time now and use it for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So for the new year, it is important for us, I think it's helpful and important for us to Remember our mission, why God has called us together and placed us here. A reminder is needed because we tend to forget. We tend to forget our mission or somewhere along the line, uh, our mission can tend to change. Just as a a very simple example, I've, I've walked into Target before with my children with one mission and ended up the, the final mission ended up, let's get out of here as soon as possible. Let's just make it out alive. Somewhere along the line, with certain behaviors, things went wrong and my mission changed. It happens a lot in, in a lot more serious situations in organizations and in governments. And uh, one example of that is in the U.S. and later U.N. mission to Somalia in the early 90s. Do you remember about that, Somalia and Mogadishu? Um, a, a term was 
coined in a couple of articles written about the situation going on in Somalia. A term was coined called mission creep. Mission creep. Maybe you've heard of that before. It's defined as a gradual shift in objectives during the course of a military campaign, often resulting in an unplanned long-term commitment. So in the early 90s, the U.S. and later U.N., began a short-term humanitarian mission to Somalia. Uh, What happened, what ended up happening is that they were drawn into battle by warlords in Somalia. Gradually, the mission changed from a short-term, simple uh, humanitarian aid and assistance to a long-term stability project. And you know what eventually happened is that 18 American lives were lost in the Battle of Mogadishu. It's one thing if it happens in Target that your mission changes. It's quite another if your mission changes in a situation like Somalia. But how much more important and severe is it if the church's mission changes? How much more dangerous is it if the mission of the church gets sidetracked and we lose our focus? This is what theologian Michael Horton likens to what happens in mission creep in the church. When the U.S. peacekeeping mission in Somalia turned into a more defensive military effort, a Washington Post article coined the term mission creep. Something similar is evident, I think, with respect to the Great Commission. All sorts of good things are being added to the church's agenda. Many of these items indeed belong to the calling of Christians, not only in the body of Christ and the family, but in their various callings in the world as neighbors. Other things on the to-do list are not even grounded in Scripture, but in whatever we might think uh, might make the church more relevant, impressive, or active on the world stage. And in the process, the ordinary ministry of preaching, sacraments, teaching, discipline, and diaconal care for the flock with ever-widening circles of mission to the world, is often taken for granted, like the gospel itself. But the consequence is that you end up with a church that looks like Martha, troubled by many things, rather than Mary sitting at Christ's feet to be brought into his strange new world. So I want us to consider, is it possible that we, as, as a local church, have succumbed to mission creep in some ways. Is it possible that you individually have succumbed to being led astray from your part in the mission of God's church? Consider your everyday life. Consider the last year. So sometimes we'll do this. We'll look at the previous year when when we come to the new year and consider and reflect on. So consider for yourself. Is it possible that you have been led astray in this aspect of your Christian discipleship? Look at our text with me and let's see what God has for us here. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you 
always to the very end of the age. Here's our theme for this morning. Because King Jesus has commanded his church to make disciples of all nations, we must confidently strive to be faithful to the mission. The Lord Jesus himself, our king, has sent his church out to make disciples. And so we must strive to be faithful to that mission. And we can do it with absolute confidence and joy, knowing that Christ will build his church through the proclamation of the gospel. So to walk through this passage, I want to point out four truths about the mission. Four truths about this mission Number one, the mission is given to the church. Number two, the mission rests on the authority of Jesus himself. Number three, the mission is making disciples of all nations. And number four, the mission is empowered by the never-ending presence of Jesus. So first, consider that the mission is given to the church. Jesus gave this mission to make disciples, to no other group of people, to no other organization, to no other institution. This mission belongs exclusively to the church. So the context here, at the end of Matthew, is that Jesus has been living with the disciples, walking with them, teaching them, training them to follow him over the last three, three years until it culminated in his brutal death on a cross. Hope seemed lost. But the disciples should have known that something was going to happen. Jesus himself had foretold over and over again, I am going to be killed, but I'm going to rise again on the third day. Jesus foretold his own death and resurrection, but his disciples were all huddled away, afraid for their own lives, until the women went to look at the tomb. And what they saw and what they heard made them very afraid, the scripture tells us, and yet filled with joy. They saw Jesus face to face and worshipped him. And Jesus reassured them and told them to go to the disciples and told them to go to Galilee where they would see him. So the 11 disciples go to Galilee to the place Jesus had specified. And we read in this passage, when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And then Jesus came and said to them. He spoke the the commission to them. He gave his disciples the mission. So here's the logic of how it uh, applies to us. The commission first is given to Jesus' disciples who would come to represent his church and to be its leaders. And so this commission is given to the church, universal, capital C, which finds its expression in individual local churches, right? The the universal church is made up of a bunch of local churches. And it is given to us since we are a local church and a part of an expression of the church universal. So the church... To the church alone, this mission is given to make disciples. A very simple application to us is that we must own this mission. We must take ownership of the mission that Christ has given his church. 
There's a difference between owning something and renting something. Right? You take care of things more that you, you own. It, it belongs to you. You want to care for it. You want to protect it. When you're just borrowing or renting something, you may not have as strong feelings about taking care of it. Well, we must own this mission as, as a local church. We, this must be ours. And we must own it as individuals as well. Do you sense that ownership over this mission in your own life? That this is really something you're passionate about? That this is something you must fulfill because it belongs to you? Because Christ has given it to you? And we'll talk more about what this mission is, but you already know generally what it is. It refers to making disciples. And we might think of, of it, and we often think of this task of, of making disciples as a very burdensome thing, a very difficult thing. It, we're, we're filled with guilt as we begin to think about our responsibility in the mission of the church. But really, I hope we would see it more uh, in terms of a responsibility. Yes, it is a responsibility, but it is also a great wonder and a great joy that Christ has included us in this mission. But first consider the responsibility that the church has for this mission. If the church doesn't fulfill it, no one will fulfill this mission. Consider that. This is the church's mission, and therefore, if the church doesn't fulfill it, nobody will. Now, we can do kind of the Jedi mind trick, the sovereignty of God. You know, we start turning circles around in our mind and say, well, God's sovereign, so he will accomplish his mission one way or or another, right? Well, yes, but God has chosen to work through means. And he has chosen to work this mission through the means of his church. Well, you might say, well, God will accomplish it uh, through some other assortment of local churches throughout the world, right? He will still accomplish his mission. And to that, of course, we say, yes, but what about obedience? And even more, what about the wonder that God has included us in the mission? Consider this amazing truth, the wonder that God has included us in his mission. What makes it so amazing is that the perfect and infinite God would use imperfect and finite vessels for his glory. 2 Corinthians 4, 5-7 through 7. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made His light to shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. There is great wonder that God has included us in the mission. And there's great joy in this mission. Much more joy in participating in the mission than just sitting on the sidelines. It's given to us as a... I mean, what greater joy is there than to see someone's eyes opened to the beauty and wonder and glory of Jesus Christ. What greater joy is there than to see someone in darkness and in sin, dead to God, be raised to life and trust in Jesus Christ? There's no greater wonder than that. 
There's no greater joy than that. And God includes us in the mission. And as we go about this mission, we can have absolute confidence that it will succeed because it rests on the the authority of Jesus himself. This is our second truth. The mission rests on the authority of Jesus himself. The second part of verse 18. So Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. In light of my authority, I am sending you out to fulfill my mission. So Jesus claims to have all authority. He he could have just said, All authority has been given to me, but he wants to make it clear what he means. Absolutely all authority, whether it's in heaven, whether it's in earth, all authority has been given to me. This is the freedom to do what one wishes. This is the freedom to do what one wishes. All authority, all power has been given to Christ. So Jesus, as the cosmic king, sets the agenda for the mission that he gives to his church. And this gives us great confidence. For a few reasons. This gives us great confidence because, number one, we don't have to wonder what the mission is. Have you ever been a part of a school project or a work project where you're working together with others and you all of a sudden like, what are we supposed to be doing again? One of two things happens. Either you just sit by the sidelines and don't do, don't do anything because you don't know what you're supposed to be doing. Or you get busy about, busy about something because you know you ought to be doing something. But you're probably not doing the right thing. We don't have to wonder what the mission is. Christ has given us the miss- mission. He has the authority to set what the mission is. And so by extension there, we can't just make up our own mission. We can't simply decide what we think is best, what we think will be best for God's church. Christ has all authority, and he has told us what the mission is. But it also gives us uh, confidence, not only because we don't have to wonder what the mission is, but number two, we don't have to wonder if the mission will succeed. Because Jesus, who has all authority, also has all wisdom. He knows how to accomplish his purposes. We don't have to wonder, is this going to work or not? Is this the best plan? Is this the best best method for fulfilling God's purposes? We are to trust rather in the authority of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ. See, what we're ultimately doing when we abandon the mission that God has given us is we are obeying some other authority rather than Jesus. It's ultimately rebellion against the king to go about a different mission or to go about a different way of trying to establish the kingdom of God. But Jesus himself has all authority and he has given this mission to the church. And this is the mission, making disciples of all nations. The main emphasis here is the command to make disciples. Therefore, in light of this authority that I have, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. The main 
Emphasis, the main verb here, is to make disciples. A disciple is one who learns from the master. It's not just one, however, who, who learns facts from the master. It's one who patterns his life after the master. The aim of the disciple of Jesus is to be conformed to the image of Christ. And so we can see what a disciple is by what Jesus' disciples were, by what they did. They followed him. They learned from him. They walked with him. They knew him. They were known by him. So the church's mission is to make more disciples. And notice Jesus says, make disciples of all nations. Throughout Jesus' ministry, often Jesus would say, only go to these people, only go to Israel, only go to the tribes of Israel at this point. The mission was limited in its scope, in large part, to the, the Old Testament people of God. Now, we get glimpses of God ministering to Gentiles and those who are outside of the ethnic family of God. But by and large, the mission during Jesus' ministry was to the Jews. And yet here, we see a, a great expanding of the mission an inclusive mission to reach all kinds of people, people from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation, people from all nations. This is the mission, to make disciples of all nations. But how are we supposed to do that? What is the best way to make disciples of all nations? What is the best way to make others disciples of Jesus? And at this point, we may begin to think and strategize in our minds about the best way to go about this. How can we do this? The church growth movement has been popular within the evangelical church for the last 50 years or so. Have you heard of the church growth movement? According to this movement, one of the, our biggest needs is to harness business marketing practices for the sake of the church. And then we could really begin to grow. Here's how we do it. First, we do some market research to find out what people really like in a church. We find out what, what would it take to really start attracting people to our church. Probably wouldn't be a cappella singing, by the way, would it? It would be the, the uh, big band with flashing lights, you know, all kinds of things we could come up with. So we, we do some market research to find out what people like, what would attract people to the church. Then we take what we find and we reorganize our services and ministries to match the data. And that way, we will really be able to grow our organization like never before. We could attract a huge crowd if we would put these things into practice. One problem would we be making disciples of Jesus? The church growth movement has, in many cases, replaced the Great Commission with the Great Promotion. But if we think we're out of the woods, we need to maybe consider where we have gone astray. The other side of the coin could be abdicating the Great Commission because God is sovereign. And because we know he's going to fulfill his plan. And so it's possible for us to, to sit back and think, 
You know, we, we don't have to put a lot of initiative into this. We don't have to work really hard. We don't have to get out of our comfort zone to try to make disciples of Jesus because it's going to happen. But if we want to be a part of this mission, Jesus has given us both the method, message and the methods for carrying out this great commission. So the, the main emphasis there is to make disciples. And then there are some subordinate verbs. Baptizing and teaching. Baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. So baptism here really speaks to entrance into discipleship. Someone's entrance into or conversion into the family of God. Entrance into the faith. And it's not explicitly stated here, but the, the means of conversion throughout the rest of uh, the Gospel of Matthew and the other Gospels and through the rest of the New Testament is through the pro- proclamation of the Gospel. This Gospel that we celebrate at Christmas and throughout the year, really every Sunday, that Jesus Christ came as a human, was born, humbled himself as a servant, lived the perfect life we should have lived, lived for God's glory in thought, word, and deed, and yet died a brutal death on the cross for sinners. This is the message of the gospel, that Christ paid the penalty for our sins when he died on the cross, and that he rose from the dead in victory over death and hell and over every evil thing. This is how... Someone comes to life in the gospel. This is how someone comes into the faith. And then, in obedience, they are baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus gives us the message and the methods. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. Now notice, as we consider teaching them to obey, this is not simply learning facts or ideas. Jesus says, teaching them to obey. So as disciples, we are not simply learning theology. We are learning to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, we do learn doctrine. We should learn theology. But if it's limited to that, then we can cover that in class, classroom lectures. Right? If, if making disciples simply refers to learning theological facts, we can just send them to seminary. Why do we even do this? Just go to seminary and learn all the theology that you need there. But learning to obey entails knowing Jesus' commands and how to apply them to your own life. It takes wisdom. It takes really the classroom of life. And so there's there's a, a book. Um, by Robert Coleman called The Master Plan of Evangelism. And basically what he does is he walks through the Gospels and shows how Jesus made disciples. And he did it through living with his disciples and walking with them and training them, going through life with them. And this is what it means to make disciples in the classroom of life, through studying the Scriptures together, through life together. You, you won't really grow like you need to as a disciple of Jesus if you just come every Sunday and then walk out the door without greeting anyone. If we don't connect with one another in all of life, 
Now, that's not to say that there isn't value in gathering together week in and week out. I think there is tremendous value in gathering together. This is a part of the means of God's grace. Hearing the proclamation of God's word. Praying together, singing together. These are means of discipleship. And yet there is more to discipleship than Sunday morning services. Consider your own life then. There are at least three points of application here. Consider your own life as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Are you growing as a disciple? Are you learning? Are you learning to obey all that Jesus has commanded? What is the size of the investment you are putting into your own discipleship? How much effort are you putting In discipleship, who have you recruited to help you grow as a disciple of Jesus? But it means that you're not only wanting to grow as a disciple, it means that you are wanting to grow as a disciple maker. Consider yourself not only as a disciple, but as a disciple maker. What other Christian are you investing in? How are you contributing to the growth of other Christians? Because there are many different gifts, but we all have the same purpose in mind. Building up the church of Christ for the glory of God. Who are you loving? Who are you praying for? Who are you proclaiming the gospel to that they might become a disciple of Jesus? Who are you inviting to church on a regular basis that they might hear Jesus Christ crucified for sinners and be saved? Or consider also our church as a whole. How well do our activities reflect Jesus' mission to make disciples? Are we in danger of mission creep? Is there a possibility of that danger in the future? How can we guard against that danger? The mission has been given to the church by the Lord Jesus Himself. We are to make disciples who know and obey Jesus more and more. And if you have the same mind as I have, that sounds a little daunting. Why has Jesus given us this task? We are ordinary vessels of clay. Right? We're nothing. Why would, he have, why would we have what it takes to carry out this mission? Why would he give it to us? You may even have doubts about your own ability to share the gospel with others. You may have doubts about what you could contribute to someone else as as a disciple of Jesus. But in Jesus' last words in the book of Matthew to his disciples, we find great comfort and encouragement. And in them we learn that the mission is empowered by the presence of Jesus himself. This is the fourth truth about the mission. The mission is empowered By the presence of Jesus. Jesus says, And surely I am with you always. To the very end of the age. So just two days ago we celebrated Christmas when the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Perhaps the song came to your mind, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. An amazing truth of God's presence with us. An astounding promise 
The Jesus who came as a baby to dwell among us has promised that he will be with his people always, even to the very end of the age. So a little child won't go into the dark alone, but if her father holds her hand, she'll go just about anywhere. And Jesus is with us. Now, not his bodily presence, because after Jesus' resurrection, he was given a glorified body, and he ascended into heaven where he is at the right hand of God until he returns. But he is present with us by the Holy Spirit. But spiritual presence is real presence. Sometimes we might get the idea, well, yeah, he's not physically with us. He is spiritually with us. But, you know, it's not quite the same as, as his physical presence. It's not a real presence. But a spiritual presence is a real presence. It's not like when we say to someone who is going off somewhere, I won't be with you, uh, I won't be present with you except for in spirit. Um, That just means we have happy thoughts towards them or or we'll be praying for them. But Jesus really is present with us in the Spirit. Even here, even now, Jesus, by His Spirit, is with us. An enlivening presence, a wisdom-giving presence, an empowering presence. The Holy Spirit of God lives in us. So if you saw The Lion King, there's this scene where Simba, the little lion cub, wanders off to the land of the hyenas and he's cornered by them. He's frightened. It seems like there's no hope. And so Simba, the little cub, inhales and then roars his loudest. And it's just a cute little kitty roar, really. And the hyenas laugh and make fun of him. And Simba inhales for another roar. And this time, it is a huge resounding, terrifying roar. Simba thought he had done it until he turns around and he sees his father, Mufasa, who was with him and roared for him. The power of his father was with him. And Christ's presence with his people is certain and it is real and it is powerful. Christ is with us. So perhaps why you're inactive in this task of the church is because you are afraid. Maybe you think, I, I don't have anything to offer. I'm not good at anything. You see, that is really to be placing your faith in yourself rather than in God. That saying Jesus isn't enough. He needs someone really special to do His work, and I'm not special. But really, not only is He With you, He's present with you. He has gifted you, if you are a believer, in some special way for His glory. For the sake of His church. Maybe you say, well, I don't know what to say in sharing the gospel with someone and trying to point someone else to Christ. Well, first, this sounds to me like an opportunity for discipleship. Find someone. Say, I don't know how to share my faith. Will you teach me? Will you help me learn as a disciple? Recruit someone to grow you in that aspect of your discipleship. But second, the Spirit's presence assures us that His Word will accomplish its purposes. We can be absolutely confident that God will fulfill His purposes as we speak His Word, as we speak the Gospel. 
So this is really a call to depend upon Christ and His empowering presence with us. To reject any and all self-confidence that we have in fulfilling the mission and to submit to His command and to rest in His presence. Some jobs, there are some jobs where people exclaim, I can't believe I get paid to do this. What job would that be for you? Maybe you have that job where you just all of a sudden in the middle of your day, you say, I can't believe I get to do this. I get paid to do this. Some jobs I think about would be a professional athlete, right? Playing baseball or basketball. I get paid to play sports or even a, a sports announcer or analysis. You know, I get to pay I get paid to watch sports all the time. Wouldn't that be pretty cool? Well, I don't know what that would be for you. But I, as a pastor, I often get that feeling myself. I can't believe that I get paid, that I get provided for to study God's holy word, to proclaim it. I can't believe that God would allow me to do this. Now, we won't always feel this way about the mission of making disciples. But that's when we must bring our feelings into alignment with the absolute wonder of being included in this mission. The Lord, the King of heaven and earth, has entrusted to us this message and this mission. And he has guaranteed the success of the mission. We get to be a part of people being transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Seeing people raised from death to new life. We won't always feel this way. But that's when we must bring our feelings into alignment with the wonder I can't believe he allows us to be a part of this mission. Let's pray together.